Uh, Katie, Katie Truex, I believe. Yeah? Wow. All right, yes, it is definitely Katie Truex coming to read uh, for us from Luke 8. Luke 8, 1 through 15, correct? That is correct. Okay. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and the people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe it for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, Hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. All right, the word of the Lord. Let me uh, let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, Father, uh, good farmer uh, of the soil of our hearts, um, would you tend our hearts right now uh, and prepare us uh, to come to the table? Uh, would you do the work that only your Holy Spirit can do, uh, which is move what uh, you've given me to say past the surface and into the depths uh, of our very being. And so uh, I humbly ask that and pray that. I pray that for my brothers and sisters here, that they would pray that uh, and that you would do your work. We love you in your name. Amen. Uh, my name is Dave. I am the pastor of Creve Hall. Uh, congregation, and I have to go to Creve Hall right after this and then come back, so we're going to get right into it, okay? Uh, this story, uh, this parable, uh, begins right on the heels of what we preached on last week, where, if you remember, if you were here, if you weren't, you should go listen, where the sinful woman, um, this woman who had a notoriously public sinful life, she comes to this dinner party at Simon the Pharisee's house and has this uh, tearful, hairful, perfumeful, 
emotional yard sale, right? Right in the middle of this dinner party. She has a, a, a vulnerability volcano all over Jesus' feet and everyone else. And she's worshiping Jesus, and what unfolds, uh, she has her, I heard y'all sang Foreigner last week, right? She has her Foreigner moment, right? And what unfolds is that Jesus responds to that moment, that situation, to this woman and her actions and Simon and his reactions to her and his reactions to how Jesus is and isn't handling that situation. Jesus uses that situation to teach and display for everyone present that this sinful woman, uh, she has clearly received Jesus' forgiveness. She's maybe the only person in the story who truly understands and gets who Jesus is. She has faith in him, and that faith is bearing fruit, and that fruit is extravagant love and extravagant worship. To borrow from the parable we just read as we're, we're going to teach through it, or I'm going to teach through it, y'all didn't know y'all are going to teach this morning. <laughs> to borrow from the parable, the seed in this woman's life, in this sinful woman's life, the seed of Jesus' love and forgiveness has fallen deeply into the good soil of her heart. And it's bearing fruit, extravagant love, extravagant worship. And remember with Simon, it became very apparent that the seed uh, that Jesus was trying to reveal, the truth that Jesus was trying to reveal was falling on hard soil in Simon's life. Soil that kind of showed itself for having no need or resistant to what Jesus was offering. Simon was blind to his own need of the same forgiveness that this woman clearly understood she needed. And he showed it. Simon showed it. She showed it in her extravagant love. Simon showed it in his lack of love, right? He wasn't hospitable. He was super judgmental. He had no love. The very next thing that Luke reports on in his gospel, and you know, he's got an intent as an author, the very next thing he reports on is this parable. Jesus is traveling town to town. He's on the move with a group of disciples and this group of women, and he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, is what it says there in 8.1. He's proclaiming what he, he said a few chapters earlier when he was in the synagogue. Remember when he had the scroll drop moment where he picked up the scroll of Isaiah and he said, this is who I am, and this is what I've come to do. I've come because the Spirit of the Lord is on me, and he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's who I am. She gets it. She understands it. Simon doesn't, right? This is who I am. And this parable, right after that experience at Simon's house, this parable, how he's going about teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom is as he takes this somewhat cryptic parable, right? I mean, he's using a farming illustration, which I think everybody would have been on the uptake about. I was trying to think of, like, what would be an actual illustration that every single person in the room could immediately identify with. He's using this, this somewhat cryptic parable about a farmer and seeds and soil. And when he gets done with the parable, it says there that even his disciples 
didn't really fully understand what it was that he was talking about. And they had to ask Jesus, will you make, will you make it clear? Will you teach us what that parable was about? And what does Jesus say? He says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples say, what does this parable mean? The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Well, that's confusing. Like, I mean, we're in a presidential election year, right? I bet none of the people who are meeting with each of the candidates are saying, hey, let's build a speech that some people are going to understand and then some people aren't going to understand, right? Like, this is not how they teach you to communicate in public speaking. This is not how you start a movement or you get your kingdom platform established according to the way that we think, right? Is to confuse some of the audience. Why is Jesus handling it this way? Like this is one of the infamous, they call them the hard sayings of Jesus. He's saying something here that's really hard. There's a mystery here. And hard sayings, like things that are confusing, I'm trying to bait you here. Hard sayings, don't they, don't they have really an invitation to kind of go one of two directions in your heart? Like when something is hard to understand or I'm not sure I agree with what you just said or I'm not sure I understand what you just meant, hard sayings can either make me harder to the person and what they just said or a hard saying can actually break open my hard heart to say, I, I want to know more about what you just said. And Jesus and how he's going about teaching in parables, he's inviting people to reflect in their confusion. And is that confusion going to lead me to a place of curiosity or callousness? It's a good question for us. Like, I have a mentor who says very hard things to me sometimes, very confusing things to me sometimes. And if I think back to our relationship, if, if at the first time I didn't understand something that he said, I said, I don't get that, I'm out. There's so much I would have missed that, that this man had to give me because I would have resisted him simply because I didn't understand it the first time. And so instead of opting out of the relationship, it's an invitation to lean in because you're going to miss a lot if you don't lean in in your confusion. Are you curious or are you going to get calloused? A lot of us, I'm in this, I'm in this boat, can spend a lot of time, a lot of emotional energy, a lot of my life trying to get God to answer questions that he never promises to answer. You want to talk about wearing yourself out. Like verse 10 is an answer, right? Tell us what the parable meant. I'm giving you the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom, and to others I'm speaking in this way. 
Though they see, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. That's actually an answer. And it's an answer that leaves you with more questions, doesn't it? It's an answer that requires faith and requires trust to receive, not agreement. A lot of us spend a lot of time trying to get answers to questions. God says, I, n- I never promised you I was going to answer that. In fact, I told you things in Scripture like, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. And instead of spending that time trying to get him to answer things, he, he doesn't say, I'm going to answer. We do that at the expense of looking into and being led into what he makes infinitely clear. Does that make sense? Spent a lot of time over here rather than he's saying, I've got so much to show you. Will you come over here? And so I'm asking us, will you do that this morning as we look at, at some of the parts of this parable? The disciples are curious. <laughs> I want to lean into this relationship with Jesus rather than become hard because I don't understand what he meant right away. All right? Because this parable... And the focus of this parable, I really believe, is on, on fruit, on the fruit, and on the soil. And it builds on and reinforces what was on full display in last week's dinner party. That if you are going to bear the fruit of loving much, then the soil of our hearts and the condition of the soil of our hearts, it really matters. Because the seed of the gospel The seed of the sower, it must go deep. It must penetrate past the surface of the heart if mature fruit is going to emerge, right? You've heard Randy talk about it many times, and that's what we're about here is maturity. Emotional, spiritual, social, you know, all of that. We want that in our lives. So three things we'll look at before we come to the table. Getting fruity, not getting jiggy, So I don't have a song cued for us to sing this morning. I'm sorry. Getting fruity, the soil and its spoilers. And then lastly, our good farmer, tending good soil and bearing good fruit. Okay? So getting fruity, the soil and its spoilers, and then our good farmer who tends good soil and bears good fruit. Getting fruity. The very beginning, it's just really, really clear in this parable it's really, really clear even in the story of the woman. The sower and the seed and the good news is given so that it will bear much fruit. He wants us to be people who are getting fruity, literally bearing fruit, not just people who are saved from our sins, kind of forgiven from what we've done, but saved to something. You're saved to this new life of remaining in the love of God. We were meant to bear his image, bear the fruit that bears his image. That's why John 15 talks about remaining in him, and if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. We are those who, are, who as Christians, are meant to bear the fruit of receiving his love. This section of Scripture, it begins and ends with, right, commenting on the fruit of the gospel, very end, it talks about the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, they retain it, and by persevering or with patience, they produce a crop, fruit. The very beginning, there's this giant list 
reporting on these different women who have all been impacted by and received the good seed, the good word, right? These women had met Jesus, had a personal encounter, and these women were all over the map as far as their backgrounds and experiences. You know, we have what Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons came out. So she was demon-possessed and healed. So Mary and the seven demons, it's a great band name. So you got Mary, and then you got some of Joanna, right? The wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. So this is a woman who's in a serious position of influence and power in Herod's house. And poor Susanna, they don't say much about her. These women had met Jesus, and as a result, they're bearing fruit. And the fruit is this. They want others to know about what they know about. They've met Jesus, and so it says they're out of their own means. They were helping support them out of their own means. Out of their own means, just like the sinful woman last week, right? They are responding in love out of their own means, because they want to see this seed of the gospel go out and take root in others as it's taken root in them. They're bearing fruit. They're getting fruity. Because that's the goal. John 15, 8. This is all that he's talking about when he says, Remain in me. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus says elsewhere, this is how people are going to know that you belong to me, is that the quality and the type of love that you live with is radically different than the world. It's unique. It's self-forgetful. It's, it's the kind of love that says, here are my own means, and I'll leverage those things for the good of others. We're called to be and he's interested in, the sower is interested in it, and the seed is given so that we would bear fruit. Now let's talk about what gets in the way of that. Because that's part of why, a big part of why I believe he tells this parable. He tells it to say, man, fruit's what I'm interested in. <laughs> this is what I'm after in your life. Not just saving you from your sins, but saving you to something, a life of bearing fruit. What gets in the way of getting fruity? Second thing, the soil and it's spoilers. A lot of commentators actually believe uh, they should have, have, have labeled this in the Bible the parable of the soils, not the parable of the sower or the sower and the seed. Because a lot of the focus of the parable really is on the condition of the soil. Jesus there in verse 11 says this, this is the meaning of the parable, right? I'm going to explain this parable to you, my disciples. I'm going to let you into some of the mystery. I'm not going to let you into all the mystery, but I'm going to let you into some of the mystery. Because they asked, right? They were curious in their confusion, not calloused in their confusion. They're like, I asked my son this the other day. He's in math class. And he brings home these math problems. And I'm like, I'm sorry, there is no humanly way possible I can help you right now. <laughs> Go talk to your mother. <laughs> but I asked him, I said, do you ever ask the teacher, like when he goes through these problems on the, on the blackboard or whatever y'all do it on nowadays, 
<laughs> the blackboard. What am I, 80? <laughs> hey there, kiddo, with the chalk. Uh, I said, do you, does he ever say, did you understand that? And do you ever say no? And he goes, no. And I said, why not? He's like, well, he says, because I don't want to look dumb. You know what that is? That's a statement of pride, right? I'm not shaming my son when I say that, but that's why we, when, when something confusing comes along and we don't act curious, it's oftentimes because our hearts are calloused and it's because our hearts are proud. I don't want to act like I don't know. And so I'm just going to act kind of cool, like, yeah, I got it, even though I have no clue. That's hard soil. <laughs> Jesus is explaining the parable because at least his disciples are soft enough to ask, I don't understand what that means. Help. <laughs> and he says this, the sower is the seed. Or sorry, the sower is Jesus. The seed is the word of God, which is the gospel message, the good news. And the soil is what? He goes on to explain it. The soil is a cross-section of all the different types of people upon whom the seed is falling on, all the different kinds of hearts that the seed is falling into or on top of. And Jesus is saying through this parable that depending on the state of the soil and some of its internal and external challenges or conditions, the seed doesn't take root. It's there, it's being thrown out, it's all over the place. The seed doesn't take root and therefore it can't bear the fruit that it was meant to bear. And Jesus is saying, hey, those who have ears to hear, if you've been given ears to hear, <laughs> Proverbs says ears to hear and eyes to see, the Lord has given both. If you have ears to hear, I'm inviting you to consider, be curious in that place of confusion, not calloused, and ask this question. Consider this question. Let him shine a light on this. What is the state of my soil? What's affecting the soil of my heart? Because if the fruit isn't there, if that extravagant alabaster jar shattering love worship vul vulnerability volcano of joy isn't there, why not? Is it possible that the seed's not deep enough? Is it possible that something's affecting the seed and affecting the soil? He's telling this parable because he's saying, be curious, consider what's the state of the soil. So let's talk about the state of the soil for a second. Because there's some soil spoilers that he lays out here. And I wish we, I mean, if we had <laughs> a long time this morning, uh, we could dig into each one of these. Uh, this is kind of a parable of like a high flyover, you know? It's like a syllabus of sorts. I'm going to tell you all the different things, but I'm not going to go very deep on any one of them. That's what Jesus is doing here. So you're going to need to sit with these things. I'm telling you this. You will need to sit with these things and let the Lord teach you, okay? Here's one of the first things he says. It's an external soil spoiler, a seed stealer, and it's this, the devil, He says, there's those along the path, the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. 
And for a lot of us, right there, it's like, the devil? Seriously? I mean, is that even real? Hard-hearted. Just because I don't understand that I have an enemy doesn't mean I don't have an enemy. Because Scripture is really, really clear that you and I are in a spiritual battle. And he's saying here that that spiritual battle is for the word to not even make it past the surface. Never even get to the heart. He's comparing Satan to a bird that snatches away the seed before it's barely landed. And it probably landed on really hard ground to begin with. Because that's usually where the birds go first, right? The Satan, I mean, he's committed, right? I mean, I got birds in my front yard who are like digging into the ground to get the seed out too. Jesus is saying, you have a real enemy that is working against the seed going deep. And some of us, calloused, live willingly obtuse to the spiritual battle that we are in daily. We're blind to it, like Simon was blind to it. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, hey, this battle that you're in, it's not against flesh and blood. Why do you think he had to say that? That the battle that you're in isn't just a battle against your own, your own will and your own habits and your own tendencies. It's a literal spiritual battle going on, not against just flesh and blood. Because we would love to reduce fruit bearing to just more effort and hard work, wouldn't we? The battle you're in, it's not just against flesh and blood. But take heart. If you're in Christ, you have resources for that battle against your enemy. In Christ, you have battle, or you have resources for the battle to keep the soil receptive, nurtured, and watered to, to have that seed grow. We have things like prayer. We have things like the word. We have things like one another. <laughs> Let's just take the word, for example, because that's what he's talking about here. The seed is the word, right? It says that the word in Scripture is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. In Ephesians 6, it says that the word is actually the, the sword in the hand of the spirit. So if you want to be a spirit-led person and you don't know the word, you don't have a sword. You know what happens to somebody who's in a battle without a sword? What happens? They die, yes. What an emphatic statement. You have the word. You have the spirit. It's a mighty combination, Ephesians 6 says, against the devil's schemes. A lot of us, we're like the people who, who get the ADT sign and put it out in our front yard, but we don't pay for the service. <laughs> And we actually believe we're protected. <laughs> David said he hid the word in his heart so that he might not sin against the Lord. He hid the word in his heart so that he would be ready for the battle. If you just got the sign out, if you got a Bible on your, on your coffee table, but not in this, you don't have real defense. I know that's serious, but I'm, I'm being serious. When a break-in occurs... The sign didn't stop anything. So we have this external thing that's real, the devil. And then he goes on to talk about some internal soil spoilers, right? Verse 
13, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, when they, but they have no root. They believe for a little while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So let's talk about the rocky and the thorny soil for a second. Rocky, not as in Balboa, but rocky simply means that the seed, it made it into the soil, but it didn't go very deep. It says there that they hear it, that they receive it, but it doesn't get inside is the picture Jesus is painting. It doesn't take root. You know, you guys know my love of the film Inception, right? That whole film's about getting an idea deep into the subconscious because it will shape your very existence, right? It doesn't incept in you. And the truth is, is we all know what it's like to have a word get in deep, right? Some of you are living with the wounds of your parents' words getting in deep, and they were bad words. It's bearing fruit in your life. Might be bearing fruit in your work, worry, and love of money. We all know what it's like when a word makes it beneath the surface and takes hold in good and in bad ways. And we also know what it's like when a word lands, but it doesn't go much past the surface. For me, usually when a word makes it past the surface, it's much more about not what was said, but who said it. Did I value them? What was their place in my life? Even if I didn't understand the word that they were saying, the fact that they were saying it, okay, I'm going to be curious about that. I'm going to draw near to that. And it's a good question for us. Is the word, is his word to you making it past the surface? Are you a cultural Christian? Are you a Sunday Christian? Are you a sometimes Christian? Like context matters when I decide to kind of embrace my faith or not? Or does the word root itself in your heart because if you're here and you're at Midtown, we believe something here, and it's not because we believe it, it's because the Bible teaches it, is that all of our life is worship. That every part of my life is to be affected by this word that has gone deep past the rock, right? And he says there, a good test is this. If you, here's a good way to know, has it gone past the service? When trials come, how do you respond? When trials come into your life, do you say out of a place of, because trials are confusing, don't get me wrong. Nobody signs up and says, this is awesome, right? When the good farmer is in the field sowing the good seed, when trials come, we actually have the grace to say, I'm going to be curious about what you're doing here. Lord, this is hard. can admit that. But what do you want to work in me? What are you doing here? How are you working? I know I may not see the fruit of that for a long time, but I know who you are. I know that you're good, and I know that you've promised. Heck, this is what this table teaches us, right? Trials, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, say that they prove, refine, and they strengthen our faith. And I know many of you would say this, that trials, some of those painful seasons of your life have proved to be what? 
some of the most fruitful seasons of your life. So when trials come, they either make us curious or they make us calloused, right? When the test comes, Lord, this is hard, and I'm becoming hard towards you. Rocky soil. What about thorny soil? Man, there's so much to say about this. Worry, wealth, and wants. Just write down that triangle. And those of you who are in small group are going to have a heyday with this. Worry, wealth, and wants can be thorns in your soil, which are plants that are growing alongside of the gospel. And even if the word takes root there, it says, these things, they have to be weeded out. You guys, I mean, how many people have hackberry trees that are covered in vines in their yards? Really? No. I forgot y'all are living in the tall and skinnies where there is no yard. Out there in the country where we got them trees. <laughs> you ever seen a tree covered in vines? It's choking it out. You can't even tell what type of tree it is. And the only fruit you see is the fruit of the vine, not the fruit of the tree. Most, most of the people who I know who are gospel unfruity people, it's because their lives are literally crowded out and choked out with the busyness of those three words, worries, wealth, and wants. Because those things, if we don't weed them out, we don't pull them up by the roots and shake them so we can see the idols that they represent, the misplaced priorities and values that they represent, they compete for the gospel. They crowd it out for the word to grow and spread into every area of the garden right? That's what thorns do. That's what weeds do. That's why Proverbs says, guard your heart, weed your heart. Let the farmer weed your heart because everything you're going to do flows from that place. And what is it? Do you have the thorns of worry in your life? The fruit, because worry bears fruit, right? The fruit of struggling to believe that God actually will take care of me Trusting God to provide what I truly need. That's what Matthew 6 says worry is. Worry is running after wrong things to give me what God has promised to give me. In the way that he's promised to give it to me. Is worry choking your life? Is wealth choking your life? You know, the rest of the laborer is sweet, Scripture says. But to, that, to those who have too much wealth, they have no rest. Scripture says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, the love of it. I love it, right? I don't have money, it has me. What about wants? Pleasures. Is envy choking your life? You know what envy is, right? I, I want these things, I want these these things for my life. And envy has me wanting what I don't have and envy has me not wanting what I do have. That's what envy does. It's a double choke. The choke of what I don't have and then the, the headlock on what I do have killing my love for it. 
And there's still fruit there in that thorny patch. It says the fruit there, but it's crowded out by so much that it's not mature. It's not mature. That means you can't do much with it. Uh, we were together. Brant said it was like the little grapes in the bottom of the grape bag, right? <laughs> it's not mature. It's like you ever have a friend who grows a garden and they bring you over a sack full of vegetables because they're good at gardening and they're like, I, it's growing so much, I can't eat all of this, right? That's the picture here. Not just it'll feed you. Mature fruit feeds a bunch of people. I'll give you an example in my own life. So one of the fruits of the Spirit, right, is patience, love, joy, peace, patience. All of our kids are singing this downstairs right now, probably. I'm not patient in my life. I'm not bearing the fruit of patience when I'm overcommitted. My life is crowded, and it's crowded by worry, wealth, and wants. I'm not patient when I'm overcommitted and as a result, I make everyone else in my life pay for my idol of performance that is just worry disguised as working hard. Many of you work hard just because you're warriors, not because you're really fired up about going to work. You're working out of fear. You see how it works? The fruit of patience is choked out of my life because there are other things competing. The devil, rocky, thorny, all soil spoilers. And remember, the goal is to get fruity. <laughs> and they're real things. You're going to have to spend some time with the Lord. Have him show you what. Uh-oh. I guess the sermon is over. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. There are real things that spoil the soil and hinder our ability to have the word go deep. Let's talk about the good soil for a second as we come to the table. What are the marks of good soil for the seed and for the word? Well, remember, we didn't just teach the parable. We talked about these women and even last week, and I did that intentionally, and here's why. Because I think it helps us have at least a mental picture of what good soil looks like. Because remember, these are notoriously sinful women demon-possessed woman, woman who works for, um, you know, Herod, right? So th this is a crazy group of people. So what makes for good soil? It says there, the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and a good heart or an honest and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by patience produce a crop. Well, the first thing I would say for good soil is this. Um, acknowledge your constant need. All of these women, <laughs> they needed something, these fruity women <laughs> who were going in their, their own means to great lengths to support the gospel ministry. They needed something that they knew I can only get one place. And it's something I can't give myself through my own effort. There's only one sower there's only one seed, there's only one money lender like last week, and it's Jesus. 
and I can't get the forgiveness and the love and the hope and the peace and the rest and the confidence and the value and the security that I need anywhere else. That is the good news, y'all. Proverbs says, what a person desires is unfailing love. It's better to be poor than a liar. It's better to not have all that money than live in the lie that what you want is unfailing love, and it's only found one place, Jesus. So always acknowledge your constant need. Secondly, always invite the farmer in. Because he's not just a, a seed sower, he preps the soil. <laughs> Anybody who's a farmer, and I was one for a while, knows this, that, that I can't go out and do that you know, seed sowing without doing something to the ground to receive it, right? Soil conditions are vital to the health and vital to the fruit, and the soil itself can't make itself by itself good. I'm not saying the soil doesn't play a part, that we don't play a part in our own hearts, but I need the farmer, <laughs> the good farmer, who's, who promises in places like Ezekiel, I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new spirit. I'll give you the ability to become not calloused, but curious. Be in relationship with me. The soil can't make itself good, and the farmer's got to do that. So I got to invite the farmer in. Let him do his work in my heart's field. So I acknowledge my need like these women did. I invite the farmer in like these women did. Just his work in their life. And then lastly, there it says, who hear the word and retain it. Now, some of you have children, but everybody has had this experience. Have you ever asked somebody this question? Did you hear me? <laughs> hey, did you hear, did you hear what I said? You know what I don't mean when I said that? Did you actually hear the words that I said? What I mean when I say that is, did you go do what I just asked you to go do? Hearing is not hearing. Hearing in the Bible is obeying. It implies, like James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Practice it. So to hold fast, to hear the word and to hold fast, we play a part. We play a part in what it means to hear and to do. So real simply, <laughs> you need to hear it all the time. Like it, it's literally like in the winter time where you keep your faucet on so your pipes don't freeze. You need to keep the gospel faucet on all the time. Because your heart will become frozen and calloused quick. Why? Because we are hearing so many other words, so many other gospels all the time through our worry, wants, and wealth, those three things that are saying, here are all the promises that Jesus promises, but we'll deliver more quickly in exactly the way that you want. 
I have to hear it all the time because I'm hearing so many other things, so many other messages, so many other seeds that are getting sown into my field that are inviting me to put my hope in something other than the gospel. So I have to keep the faucet on, like Paul said all the time. I never tire of reminding you of this stuff. If you get tired of being reminded of it, that's your pride. Just call it what it is. Sin, repent of it, and then open up your ears again. Part of the way that you participate with it and you retain it, right? If I just said you got to hear it all the time is this. Be at church. Be at small group. Develop a life in the scriptures. Don't have the ADT sign experience. Learn to pray. Learn to meditate on scripture. Learn to mortify sin. Weed the garden. You don't do any of those things so that God will love you. That's already been accomplished and done and is proven at this table. You do those things so you can experience his love for you, right? This isn't legalism. This is getting under the waterfall, right? Because I know under the waterfall of that truth, he sets my heart at rest in his presence. And when I remain in him, I bear that fruit. So what we're about to do at this table is practice this. We come to this table, what? In a place of need. And what do we do? We hear the word with our mouths and we taste and see the goodness of the Lord. We experience the seed, the word over you that is spoken over you at this table. We hold fast, we retain it, we take it in, we swallow it, we digest it, it goes down deep. We believe something. Scripture teaches this, this sacrament strengthens our faith. It feeds the word that is implanted in us. It waters us. And when it waters, it matures. And it grows gospel fruit. So if you're in Christ this morning, Randy's going to come up here in a second and instruct you. But Paul says this, you know, this is my body which is for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. If this is if you're in Christ this morning, for you, he's the seed that fell to the ground and died so that it could bear much fruit for you. So you come here and you feed, right? You come here and you weed, right? Paul also says, examine your heart, believer. Examine your heart. Tend the field of my heart, Lord. Show me where I'm hard and where I'm calloused. Show me where I'm full of worry. Show me where I've got disproportionate loves for things like money. Show me those things and let me repent of those things because I don't have to be ashamed to repent. I was made to repent. Repent and receive. The only warning is this. If you're not in Christ this morning, don't come to this table because he's saying, I, I want you to understand the state of the soil. What's the condition of my soil? And maybe, maybe this morning is the first morning that you invite the farmer into the field. It says in Scripture, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your heart this morning. Maybe the farmer is knocking on the door and saying, I want to come in and establish and give you faith in me by grace alone. And as a result, plant something deep inside of you that is going to change your life. 
Come to him by faith and then come to this table that says, by eating, I have faith, okay? That's the invitation. I'm gonna pray for us and then Randy's gonna, you wanna do it that way or you just, all right, let me pray for us. Lord, tend our hearts. Um, feed us at this table, Lord. Um, do your deep work. Um, help us come even in the places we're confused curious and open to what you're doing, not calloused. Um, we love you. Amen.